faces. I love listening to it. Kane Sims. Kane Sims. Kane Sims, the one and only. Britain's finest, Mr. Kane Sims. Dustin. Dustin. Dustin Coates. I like it when you guys are together and talking about boys. Without further ado, welcome to the show. And there we go. Boom. Just like that. The click of a button. <laughs> we're live. I think we're live. I'm just checking. But I think we're live. So <laughs> so how are we doing, everybody? Doing great. Welcome to a very frost-covered Nashville over here in Tennessee today. It's wild. Wow. Wow. What's it like in Paris, Dustin? It's, it's actually quite warm. It's in the... Um... It's in the 50s Fahrenheit. I don't know what that translates to Celsius, but it's balmy. Wow. Yeah. It's been, it's been Baltic here. Uh, it's been raining all day. It was snowing for a little while, so I was almost joining you with the frost and, and snow and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, it's just turned to rain now. We're back, back to the typical UK February, really, which is good. Sadness. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, welcome, Nate. Appreciate you, uh, appreciate you joining us. Appreciate having you along for the ride on a Wednesday. Nashville as well, pretty, uh, pretty hip kind of uh, vibe over in Nashville. It is. It's Music City. We've got all kinds of interesting stuff, even right now, sadly, in the pandemic. <laughs> if you go down there, you're going to see bachelorette parties all over the place <laughs> and uh, and hot tubs in the back of pickup trucks and all kinds of weird things. So wow. come on over as soon as you feel safe to do so. Wow. Well, I missed that. I missed out on that when uh, my one and only trip to the U.S. was in uh, last January over to Chattanooga, which is a Kind of a neighbour in town, but I'm sad Love to it. say there wasn't quite as many hot tubs in the back of limousines, nor bachelor yeah. parties. It was pretty much uh, conference rooms and talks and uh, the odd pickle, really. <laughs> Chattanooga, I love. I mean, it's, it's definitely a chiller vibe. You get kind of the Appalachian culture rolled into more of a chic, modern town. It's a great place. Mm, it's pretty cool. You've been to the voice call. You, well, you went to Project Voice a few times, didn't you, Dustin? Have you been to Nashville? previously never been to i don't think i've been to nashville but yeah i've heard that it's you know bachelorette capital of the u.s is what i've heard <laughs> or so, i guess they call it a, a hen party right okay yeah yeah hen party stack too. Sound, 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 sound a little bit like blackpool but i'm sure i'm sure, I'm sure it's a lot more stylish than blackpool funny but uh but yeah welcome nate i appreciate you joining us as i said uh so chief experience what's your title chief experience designer is it or, or chief yeah. experience officer rather you got it which cxo is cxo labs yeah that's that's a an interesting title that you don't come across many chief experience officers i'm imagining with that kind of title uh customer experience is is very important to officium labs <laughs> It is. It is a CX company through and through. The, the tagline, the mission is to create incredible customer experiences. And, and the reason I love of my title in particular, and I love my job, I truly do. It's that I, I have purview over not just the customer experience, but the employee experience as well, which is why you're going to see more and more of those CXO titles. Because the experience is not just about the customer facing aspect. There are so many different types of experiences that we have to bring in in harmony. The brand experience, the customer experience, the user experience, the digital experience. We, we have to consider all of these and how they're working together to create the customer experience. Nice. That's good. And I yeah. think that I think that, that for, for the audience tuning in today and for those listening on the podcast, uh, uh, what what we can sometimes forget, I think, because we get so kind of into our thing uh, with conversational AI, with voice technologies, is that sometimes I think we can forget to, and we take our eye off the ball that this is just mm. another interface. It's just another channel. It's part of a wider brand strategy and a wider kind of array of touch points that, that customers have and relationships that customers have with brands. Um, and so it's always important to put it in context. And I think what you can bring to this conversation is, is exactly that, is fitting conversational AI automated conversations, automating some of these digital channels within the broader context of the, the wider brand kind of experience and customer experience. Uh, and the other thing I think which will be really good is to, last time we spoke, you were speaking about voice of the customer. And mm -hmm. for those to set some context, the reason why I think that's important is because within the conversational AI industry, within the voice industry, everyone has to, has to start somewhere. You start with a chatbot, you start with a, a voice assistant or Alexa skill, Google Action, a, a automated yeah. IVR, whatever it might be. But then one question is, where do I start? 
how do I get started? Mm. Well, how do I find a use case? What does that look like? And the next question is, well, how do I kind of scale it and advance it and make it better? And where do I get insight from, from customers to be able to do that? So I'm, I'm hoping that that's kind of what we can get into. But before we do that, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself and about Officium Labs? You mentioned it's customer experience through and through. What, what kind of work do you do in your role? And, and broadly speaking, how does that fit into what Officium Labs do? Yeah, absolutely. So Officium is an organization that does a lot of creative things in the CX space. It's an incubator. It's a laboratory. We have our talent place, which is the ability to take amazing talent in the CX area and to connect it with organizations that need burst capacity and staff augmentation. We have our consulting capabilities, which is the lane that I play in the most offering insights, wisdom, journey mapping, all kinds of capabilities to organizations that are looking to accelerate their CX results. And we also have some technology and some different things that we've created. Uh, so we, we do it all. And it's all about, you know, this is very holistic work, CX. So we, we can't disregard any of the main hurdles or challenges or gaps. We want to be able to bring those things in harmony, take a holistic, balanced approach. And that's really what sets Officium apart is our ability to do all those things. Nice. So what about your role in uh, chief experience officer? Do, are you coordinating all of this activity? Do you also kind of roll your sleeves up and, and, and do the do kind of thing? What does your role entail and, 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 and what do you do? That's, that's a great uh, use of that phrase. I don't know if I've heard it in that context before, but yeah, so I, I definitely have, uh, have dirty sleeves as it were. I, I work inside of teams as a consultant, as, as a CX thought person, just hey, how, how can we do this? How can we experiment here? How can I equip your leaders here? Just embedding myself into those organizations to accelerate their CX results, very much hands-on in that regard. But then also I get to be this evangelist for the importance of CX and, and doing some great marketing activities and some other things. And then the, the third piece of my job would be that EX component. I, I run employee experience programs for the teams that I serve as well as a side of Officium Labs. How can we serve our people better how can we create a gift that our people can then give to our customers that's going to be the type of gift that we want to be able to give? And, and all of that is things that I get to work on every day. Nice. So just, just from the outside, it feels like customer experience and employee experience at the very least are, are so different that they would f generally fall under different people. But I'm guessing that you've got a different view of that. So how do you see that as overlapping and, and being within a single purview? Yeah. I mean, uh, Denise Leone is, is an incredible author on this topic with her book Fusion and talking about how authentic culture gives you the capability to create a true, sustainable, consistent experience for your customers that can be delivered by your people. It, it starts with that culture that, that is truly there where people get to experience from one another, from their leadership, from their peers from the organization itself, the type of experience that you're trying to create for your customers. You, you can't do it, you can't fake this. If you're trying to create a customer experience over here that people don't know, they haven't internalized it themselves, they don't know what it really looks like, they can't create it. You gotta start over here, make it, make it compelling, make it special, invest in it, and then your, your employees have the ability to create it and translate it out into the world. It's about having a great brand promise first. I mean, you're, you're saying something. Your company does something that no other company does. You've made a promise out to the world. of This is how we're going to do something for you, customer, that nobody else can do as well as us. Now you have your people and they're responsible to make that real, to, to turn your brand promise not into a lie, but into a, a promise that your customers can trust. And, and until you work on that EX component, it's not going to be consistent. It's not going to be authentic. You won't have the ability to deliver on that experience to your customers. Interesting. So what kind of activities do you do on the EX side? I know I know, maybe it's a bit of a, a, a tangent compared to what we were going to speak about initially, the voice of the customer, but I think that it is important to have employees to have staff evangelized, motivated, enthusiastic about delivering the, the brand promise and services and things like that. So what kind of, uh, that, that it reminds me a little bit of, I don't know whether um, whether you've come across this, but something I read previously was that Virgin used to hold brand experience days every single year. Apparently, I don't know how Beautiful. true this is, yeah, but apparently every, every year, every employee who works at Virgin 
is kind of like almost like mandated to go on this brand experience day where the entire day is all about the Virgin brand, the promise and how to kind of embody it and and to live it and and why that's important for customers and all that kind of stuff. Is that the kind of thing you're talking about when you talk about employee experience or is is there there other things to it? What kind of stuff do you do to to kind of uh, get moving with the on the employee side? Yeah, that's a beautiful example of how these worlds merge. And and I'll give you one example here. So I I was working inside of a major enterprise organization that that was maturing in this area of voice of customer. We were very immature at the time. And so I I was looking for a quick way to just move the needle and and get a quick win in this area, wake people up a little bit in terms of the power of unstructured feedback. So I created these these buttons, these little USB web keys, where in the contact center, people could just hit this button Anytime they got meaningful customer feedback, hit the button and it was flashing on their desk. So there was like a constant reminder of, oh, I just, that customer just gave me some feedback. I've got to do something with that. And we created a culture around it of you are the voice of the customer. If, if you get feedback and you just let it pass into the void, you have disrespected that customer. You've disrespected your teammates. It's like that, that is worth capturing. And, and we've given you a mechanism in which to do that. And, and so it worked, you know, it's stuck in the contact center. And so we're rolling it out a little further. And, and so here's, here's where I'm getting back to the EX topic, right? So I'm, I'm handing this button off and it was kind of like almost a little mini ceremony. We'd give them a hot dog and a button, be like, you are ordained to be the voice of the customer. <laughs> and uh, this, this sales representative was like, where's my button? <laughs> so you did all this for the customer, but yet my voice you don't care about like I, I've got no channel in this company in which to vocalize my concerns, my friction, my frustration. And I was just like, Oh my gosh, like what, a, what a tremendous oversight. I, I have done the very thing where I've, I've tried to create something for our customers over here inauthentically before doing it for the employees over here. And there's friction. There's, there's insincerity that is born out of that. So what we did, we pulled the plug back, we rolled back a little bit and started to do pulse surveys. And pulse surveys is the phenomenal evolution of what used to be the annual employee engagement survey that you'd get once a year. Mm-hmm. It is, is almost worthless in some regards because you have no ability to correlate this data with any actual event inside of the company because it's just a roll up of a random moment in time. So pulse surveys happens every week or every other week where the employee is answering different questions to be able to feed back into a composite metric of overall engagement and doing it in the different key areas that make up the employee experience. So we started using that. It was also a brilliant, just open text, anonymous channel for feedback. And it was amazing how quickly our employees just gravitated towards using this tool as a mouthpiece for them to articulate how they felt about their jobs. Uh, It changed a lot of things in in our culture at that time and paved the way for us to be able to do voice of customer in an elevated fashion. Interesting. So in that respect, are you talking about the, on the employee side, voice of the customer being the voice of the employee in terms of their feedback to the organization. So when you first said about the clicker in the contact center, it sounded very much as though you were, the the aim of it was to solicit insight from the end user, which yes. is the typical, I suppose, what people might understand of voice of the customer. But you're saying that you also kind of, you also look at the voice of the employee so that you've got both sides of the coin. Feedback from employees, how to make their life and job easier. Feedback from customers, how to make your services and products better. Is that is that right? Yeah, you're nailing it, Kane. I mean, think about how you would feel if you're serving inside of the organization. And the only question I ever ask you, Kane, is how do your customers feel right now? Are, are the customers okay? Are they doing okay? Have we done everything we can to love and serve our customers? And I never ask you that question you're going to question your own value. You're going to question your role in this whole mechanism and this whole conversation around customer experience. You are the very person delivering it. You're the most valuable component of this wheel. So why, why would I not ask you that same question? How are you doing? How can I serve you? It starts there. Mm, nice. That's nice. I'm curious. Uh, we'll, we'll, I'm curious about this little uh, little wheel you've got behind you there. Oh, that's a is that all wheel. part? Is that all part of of 
soliciting feedback and insight <laughs> from employees or from customers? Well, this is something I've used on some trainings and some different things. So I've got some very popular taglines from different brands and I spin it and then I ask, think different. What's the, what's the organization that had that brand promise or that tagline? Does anybody know? Ooh, what do you think, Dustin? I feel like it was a uh, late nineties era Apple perhaps. You nailed it. That is exactly it. Well done. Wow. Oh, thank you. Interesting. So I'm nothing yeah. if not influenced by advertising. <laughs> <laughs> That's classic. So, so, so is that to try and raise awareness as to the importance of having a memorable brand promise or something like that? Yeah, I mean that's that's just a little icebreaker game that I yeah. like to use with All with right. some podcasts and some trainings to to get people thinking about what what is the message that we're sending out into the world? What makes us unique and compelling as an organization? And then as we start to talk about CX, are we backing this up? Are are we truly thinking different? Are we bringing something new and fresh every time? Or are we just regurgitating the inertia that we've created in the past? I mean, something like this, a little tagline, it becomes a, a North Star, a steering point for every decision that you're making inside of your organization. Good job, Ben. Ben nailed it, Apple. Ben, ben got it. Well done, Ben. <laughs> nice one. He also said, shit's getting real, which it is. It is. This is getting incredibly yeah. real and incredibly deep. Uh, the it's only the thing that's, that's not getting real, Dustin, is, is our outfits. I'm feeling as though we're a little bit underdressed for this occasion. I know. Uh, if you're watching this, if you're listening to this rather on the <laughs> podcast, you're, you're missing out. It's a, it's a nice blue blazer and a nice, quite nice hat. What would you call that kind of hat? Oh, this is an Australian soaker hat. Australian mm. soaker hat. I knew a, I knew a guy like you would know exactly the name of the hat you're wearing. <laughs> you're, you're not the kind of guy just to pick a hat off the, the shelf. Well, most of these are fedoras, but this is my personal favorite because if I'm kayaking or if I'm outside or something, you just dip this in the water, you put it on your head, it keeps you cool all day. Mm. Wow, interesting. Uh, the nice yeah. self you got there. I love it. I love the room. Thank you. Um, so, so let's let's kind of bring this bring this back then. So. You're, you're doing two things. You're, you're capturing the, the voice of the employee and their experience. So you're getting their feedback and cultivating a culture of listening, of, of empathy, and then hopefully of actually acting on the things that you're hearing. And then you're doing the same thing from the customer side in terms of gathering feedback, gathering insights, and then using that to formulate ways in which you can improve, presumably. Can you give us a bit of an example of of how this is working in practice like voice of the customer let's 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 put the employee kind of side, side of things to one side okay. for a sec and let's just think about soliciting feedback and insights from your customers in order to then be able to make an improvement or a change to your service or, or mm. your product suite how how is that actually working in practice can you give us some examples of of the kind of things that you're doing the kind of stuff that you've implemented and how it's helping organizations make better decisions yeah, for sure. So I, I've been really involved lately with player experience, which is a fascinating subset of, of this larger customer experience conversation. But if, if you think about a player and it's the same with any customer, there's an underlying motivator, a psychology that's drawing them into the game. There's a reason that they play the game. And a lot of times game designers just ignore what those motivators are. And they're just like, well, we made this game to do this. Here's the path at which you play the game. The rest of you be darned. If you don't like this path that we designed for you, then go play some other game. <laughs> well, that, that's morphed tremendously. I mean, you have these incredibly rich and complex universes. Uh, people aren't creating turn and burn games anymore like they used to in the past, where it's like, hopefully this sticks. <laughs> now it's like, we want to create a 10-year game. We want to create something that's going to have an impact on the space and create a community around this game. And if you're creating a community around a game, you've got to demonstrate that you know and understand the members of that community and the reasons why they would want to engage in that game. So one of the things I've been doing is creating these extended voice of player capabilities that lead into personas, player personas of this is a personal achiever. This is somebody who loves to play because they want to do everything. They want to get 100% complete. They want to unlock every challenge. They want to maximize their footprint in the game versus somebody that's very competitive. I want to squash. I want to kill. I want to rise to the top of the chart. I want to be number one on the leaderboards versus you have another type of player. That's the socialite. I'm here because my friends are here. I'm here because they're depending on me to be a part of this allegiance or whatever it may be. 
And these are very different types of players with very different psychology. When we can get their feedback, we can understand how to best engage them on the path that they're on. As StoryBrand would say, we want to be the guide that, that allows the customer to move closer to their definition of success. Well, if we don't know what their definition of success is, we're going to make all these assumptions about what our customers want and how to best engage them. And, and we're going to be wrong. So it's the voice of customers, the voice of player capability that keeps us in tune with what our players actually want, what their definition of success is, so that we can customize and engage the experience all the way through. That's what voice of customer does for you. And so now when I hear voice of customer, I'm usually thinking customer support, but what you're saying sounds a lot like customer research, or is that the wrong way to think about it? Is there that clear uh, you know, line between customer research, customer support, and, and perhaps some things I'm missing? I mean, it all comes together. I mean, you want to have a centralized voice of customer engine that's in place that can take all these different types of feedbacks that exist out in the world. You have structured and unstructured feedback, and it's being generated at different points in the customer journey. So as an example, in the customer service environment, you've got people who are having to call support because they experienced an issue. And you're going to be asking, why did you experience an issue? What can we learn from this friction point? As well as how did we do to get you back on track? That's going to be a type of customer feedback that's coming in right there. That's going to be very different than maybe the type of feedback that they had when they were engaging with your brand originally, when you were setting expectations with them. It's like, oh, you know, I thought I thought that you all did this based on this demo that I watched or or this thing that I saw online or this commercial that I saw. But yet when I actually started to engage with you and go through the process, this was totally different. This isn't what I expected. And so we misset expectations here. And then further down in the journey, it became a friction point. We need to know and understand where we're setting expectations and are we delivering on those or are we creating friction points? And so having good voice of customer of different types throughout the journey gives us that capability. Interesting. So, so structured and unstructured. So I suppose, correct me if I'm wrong, but almost anything that is geared towards understanding more about either customer preference, behavior, attitudes, things like that, decision-making is technically voice of the customer. So so what I'm thinking of is things like website analytics or to bring it closer to home, kind of chatbot, conversational AI analytics. If you're kind of yep. monitoring at what point does a conversation need ha to hand over to a human, at what point do people leave the conversation? So you would even, would you class kind of those detailed analytics around customer journeys part of the voice of the customer as well? Absolutely. Those are customer insights. And, and you want to be able to learn from those, extrapolate those in whatever format that you can. Uh, structured, what I mean by structured is you created the channel for feedback. This would be a survey. This would be a, a quarterly account review that, that you would set up or some type of stakeholders meeting or, or even some automated channels that you've, you've revealed and said, we're going to collect this data on you. That is a structured channel. Unstructured is where, hey, the customer just sent us an email. Or I just, I just had this impromptu conversation with the customer and they gave me some feedback or the customer posted this about us on social media or they just left this review for us. And, and that right there is unstructured feedback. You have to bring all of these types of information back into a centralized VOC engine of some kind. And there's some great tools that help to facilitate this that can measure what is called customer sentiment. So based on that interaction, the text, the recorded call, the, the video capture, whatever it is, whatever that form of customer interaction was, we can automate our capability to reach into that interaction and get a form of customer sentiment, which is how the customer feels about that interaction. With that conversational AI situation, it's generating an impression for sure that the customer's trying to do something. They're trying to achieve an objective. How easy is it for them to achieve that? Do we have the capability to, to really understand what's going through the heart and mind of that customer as they navigate that part of their journey? Those are insights we have to extrapolate and bring into our centralized engine so that we can get that 360 degree view of the customer journey. Interesting. It sounds as though, I mean, sentiment is 
is one thing in terms of how are we making people feel and what are their kind of impressions of us, things like that. But yeah, also there are some real practical insights, presumably that that you're kind of gathering around how we can actually make changes to improve things. So, is it just sentiment, or is there other types of data that you're looking for specifically? Yeah, uh, that's a good call out. I mean, you can't shove everything into a voice of customer engine. That would be an oversimplification. But for for these these certain types of customer interactions that that can be brought in and sentiment can be formed around that, we should. Uh, for more operational based data and some other types of data that are out there, I mean, this is where we create a CX dashboard or, or something that gives us the ability to hold in harmony. Here's what our customers are saying about us. Here's what we were able to extrapolate from the interactions themselves. Here's what we were able to extrapolate from the, the everyday life of the customer and, and just observing their interaction points as much as we can and, and their, their interface capabilities, the UX component of this. Here's what we're able to extrapolate from this. What are we learning? I mean, I mean, that's the question at the end of the day. Do we understand our customer? Is, are these are these two areas telling a similar story? Are they revealing similar friction points? If, if not, then we need to dig deeper into both. Because if they're not telling the same story, then, then one of them would, would be led to be false, probably. And, and you haven't gotten a holistic picture yet of your customer. But if they're telling the same story, then it validates both. Hmm. Interesting. Um, the... Do you do you kind of this this kind of makes me think of a few things like I can I, on one side I can just envision data coming in from all manner of different places and I think that the the concept of storing one centralized dashboard or one central VOC kind of repository is definitely a good idea but they, it kind of makes me reminds me a little bit of like opening up something like Google Analytics and you know I used to train people in how to use Google Analytics and one of the first things I used to say is don't kind of just go there for a general browse go there to try and answer a question that you have. Yeah. And so if I'm looking at this landing page, what questions mm. might I have? Well, what's the conversion rate? How many people scroll to the very bottom of the page? How long do they stay on here for? Because then you can, it's easier to get the data that you know that you want to measure um, as opposed to kind of browsing, you know, aimlessly or whatnot. Are, are you, when you're working with clients, are you trying to help them understand what kind of data is important for them to capture? Or do you start from, let's just find a way of bringing stuff in and then let's have a look and see what we can find. Which kind of approach do you, do you take or is it a bit of both? Yeah, I love having a good baseline of data, if at all possible. And, and I call it creating your listening paths, or, or as Gene Bliss would say, your listening posts in Chief Customer Officer 2.0, which is a brilliant book, by the way. And, and so you're trying to set um, a, a baseline of learning so that you can reach into that customer journey and be able to answer this question. What would we be able to do that would have the maximum ROI impact on this journey that, that would make the, the customer experience so much better that they would spend more, that they would stay with us longer. <laughs> because if, if you don't know what those, those maximum ROI opportunities are, th then you're not ready to jump in and start changing anything. Uh, it would just be assumptive. And, and you're probably going to go set off on a path, spending time and energy and cycles on something that isn't going to have a significant impact on the customer journey. So, so you've got to have that listening path capability in place first, a good VOC capability for you to know what to jump in and start changing. Hmm. Interesting. Got a comment from Andrew Francis who said, just tuned in. I've noticed the term voice of the customer uh, apparently comes out of Japanese manufacturing concepts like quality function deployment and house of quality. Well, wow. so there we go. Mm. The Japanese, That's awesome. yeah, the Japanese tend to uh, innovate on quite a few things, like lean, lean process engineering and stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, one of the books I have back out here is is Lean Startup, and and I mm. love Art Ryan is the author of that, and he talks about how the the entire process of lean thinking is to maximize customer value. Mm -hmm. Let's eliminate the waste inside of our organization so that we can deliver the best most inexpensive and most effective product to the customer. So it absolutely makes sense mm. in, in terms of why we would do something like lean. It's not an exercise for ourselves internally. It's an exercise to maximize value to the customer. Mm. What, what things, Dustin, do you think when we're talking about 
voice of the customer, we're talking about listening paths. Do you think there's anything in particular either lacking at the moment or difficult to get to, like when it comes to conversational AI and, and voice experience? Is there anything that, any any data that, that should be like a standard part of people's implementation that either doesn't exist or isn't used by people mm-hmm. as much as it should be? Do you reckon? Well, you know, one thing I'm interested in hearing from Nate is how do you, how do you bring together that qualitative feedback? Uh, because you know you may have product managers, you've got your customer support people, you've got your your sales staff, and they're all speaking with customers. And uh, you know, if we talk about games, right? You were talking about you know some people are uh, more social, some people are more competitive, but they're all not. They're not going to say, "Hello, I'm a social persona. I'm a competitive <laughs> uh, persona." They're going to say things that that imply that. Yeah. And there might be specific, say, you know, a feature or a problem that a number of customers have, but they're all going to describe it in a slightly different way. So how do you aggregate that qualitative feedback to make sure it's actionable? And, mm-hmm. and you know, yeah, how, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, a great question on that. So, I mean, tagging is is the process and some of this can be automated. Some of this is going to be manual, but you're taking this qualitative, these statements that are organically just coming out of your everyday. And, and first you want to tag them. Where is this happening in the journey? Where is this customer right now? Are they in customer support? Are they in the brand awareness stage? Are they in an implementation stage? We want to know where the customer is because that's going to help us to, to make it as relevant as possible to the functional leaders that need to know what this feedback is saying. Then we wanna tag it by some form of type. This is in regards to this type of issue. And and by those two simple things, you can generally bring it to the right part of the business. And then you can start to tell a story of, wow, we're getting a lot of feedback on this area here. What is going on? And then using keywords, using theme rivers or different things that you'll find in a VOC, platform, you know, the cloud tagging capabilities, uh, you're, you're going to start to see these things jump off the page. We have a huge opportunity here. This is a friction point. People really don't like this. They're getting stuck here. Or you're going to see, wow, people love this. We, we didn't expect customers to really gravitate towards this, this area or this part of the application. But wow, this is really helping them. And it's an area that's driving traffic and usability. So I mean, it's, it's good and bad uh, to be able to well, not good. It's all good. It's all good to learn from your customer, but you're going to have those positive validations and then you're going to have those opportunities surface as well. One thing, Dustin, I do want to throw in here, though. I mean, when we talk about the importance of how to apply this to like conversational AI, think about the implementation process of conversational AI. It's machine learning. You're feeding. You're feeding this thing, all the all the voice of customer data that you possibly can to make it smarter and to make it more effective because we speak differently about ourselves than our customers speak about us. So it all has to be done in the customer vernacular or else it's not going to hit the mark. This has been the problem with knowledge bases for decades. You're out here trying to search a knowledge base article for an issue that you're having and nothing's coming up. Why is that? Because the organization didn't didn't search optimize it. They didn't tag it in the way that you're actually talking about the problem. So we can have the same exact issue with conversational AI, unless we're feeding it good customer statements, customer vernacular driven data. That's what's going to make conversational AI so much more effective, so much faster than us plugging in our information, our vernacular on the company side, there's going to be a mismatch. I mean, arguably, there is some good practice out there already within the conversational AI community that <clears throat> that people might not even be aware of what they're doing is in fact exactly that, which is getting training data. You know, uh, the, one of the best places to start for for creating a conversational AI is to start out first with a live chat, actually take in what customers are yeah. actually talking to you about and what their real issues are in their own language and then use that to create your conversations and to populate the, the training uh, data and all that kind of stuff. So people are probably doing it without realizing it. Yeah, because yeah. the, the customer is driving that live chat interaction. They're using their words and their terms. So, I mean, that that's so much better than us us taking our knowledge base or, or our vernacular, whatever that is, whatever format we have our data in, and then trying to feed that. I mean, that can be a part of it because we need to marry these two things, right? We need to marry what the customer's saying with what we're actually trying to give them and what we know is going to resolve their issue. But un- unless we're intentional about bridging that gap, there's going to be a gap. Mm. 
it's interesting. How do you approach, like, so for example, you've got you, you've got organizations in a conversation in our perspective you've got organizations in different stages of maturity and I think that this this example can be put anywhere you want it could be gaming it could be any industry of any of any kind but to, to, to bring it close to home so that people can kind of like frame it you've got some conversational applications like chatbots that handle stuff on the front end of the customer journey, sure. answering questions, research-based stuff. You've got others that handle things probably more around the kind of latter stage of that journey around where's my parcel, what's what's happening here kind of thing. And then you've got stuff at the at the other side, which is around customer service. You know, I want to make a complaint or this didn't go to plan or whatever it might be. Yeah. And often, often first implementation would target one of those areas, but then mm-hmm. over time, maybe you would advance and you kind of branch out into all of those different kind of areas and stuff like that. And with conversational AI, it's probably easier to do what I'm about to ask, but I imagine once you scale, you've got various solutions in different environments, you target in lots of different areas of the customer journey that are owned by different people and different teams in the organization, sales looking after sales, customer service looking after customer yeah. support, you know, a product team looking after this product, et cetera, et cetera. And so how do you how do you kind of work within a, an organization to try and get that feedback to the right kind of place? Because I imagine it sounds as though you've got a hell of a lot of kind of stakeholders to, to bring involved and to, to kind of bring into the loop. So can you just talk a little bit about how you can proliferate this kind of feedback into the right areas of the business and what some of those challenges might be? Well, you're hitting on something huge, Kane, and this is the reality of historically, the reason voice of customer programs have been ineffective is because of what you just described. Marketing is over here. Oh, what's our NPS score? Uh, how are we doing from a brand awareness? Are, are we getting out there? Are we getting the word out? And and they're just focused on just doing service. people like in this new feature, this module over here, they get all this voice of customer data that's very product centric, but they have their own method, their own receptacle for taking that data back. Customer service is over here generating surveys out of their own CRM, which is completely different and disconnected from the rest of the business. (laughs) And so what you have is all these pockets of great customer data that have no ability whatsoever to come together and to paint a picture of the customer's journey. So you can actually see where the real friction points are because they're not going to be as clean as, oh, it's, it's right here. It's right here in product. <laughs> no, the customer doesn't think that way. They're like, oh, I've got a problem with you. I've got a problem with your organization and, and this thing. <laughs> I, I just need to fix it. So by bringing a knowledge curation into the, into the network here that transcends cross, cross-functionally across these groups to where you can do voice of customer more centrically, we can we can bring it into one place. We can get that fuller depiction, but then also thinking about okay, how are we how are we curating knowledge across these different areas? How are we feeding this conversational AI? Are we consistent in the type of things that we're doing to power this capability? Because if we just do it from customer support from that perspective, it's going to be flawed. It, it's not going to meet the needs of the customer. It's going to be very much siloed into our view. But, but if we wanted to, to actually be able to think like the customer is thinking, then, then we're going to have to think like that customer. We're going to have to look at ourselves the way that they look at us as one organization, one entity. Are we speaking in our brand voice consistently? Are, are we using customer vernacular in the right way throughout? Are, are we curating knowledge in a good, consistent way to where the right data is out there, it's accessible to the customer, it's accessible to other departments. We're not trapping it into our tools because one of the very sad things that happens here is that the average enterprise organization has 464 custom applications (laughs) inside of their organization. That's according to the Cloud Security Alliance report. So data is getting trapped in all these hundreds of systems and they have no ability to actually reach the customer or reach the conversational AI capabilities. So what, what you have is, is just a, a bunch of disparate data that is trapped in these different little pockets. They're not serving the customer, they're not serving the business. So bringing somebody in to free that knowledge up, to help it to flow through, to simplify the tool set so that it can actually come out and, and serve people, that's a huge part of the business. Mm. Is that, I mean, part of that sounds like a cultural thing with companies just 
ended up in that situation because that's yeah. just the nature of the company. And so it sounds as though part of your job in trying to establish this voice of the customer is to get some kind of alignment between the different system owners and the different departments and stuff like that. But you're still then left with 400 and odd systems that's got data stuck within it and some have probably APIs, a lot of them probably don't, a lot of legacy applications that probably hold valuable yeah. data, but how do you get to them? And so I'm I'm wondering whether if someone's listening to this thinking, well, we've probably got a whole bunch of data that sits across all of our different systems that we can use to really inform our conversational strategy and really start kind of building things based on the actual feedback that we're getting. Mm-hmm. What? Where, where do they start? Like, is, 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 is it a technology solution that will help them get this alignment? Is it more kind of people coming together and agreeing to maybe do a little bit of manual processing? Like, how do you begin to start kind of going from that picture you just described of having lots of dis- disparate systems with data in there <laughs> to get into the point where you've got it all in one place? What a great question. So let's, let's bring it back to what we talked about. This is what a voice of customer program does for you. I mean, there, there's so many problems that you could go attack. But if, if you want to know what the first thing to do is, what's going to have the most value for you, looking at that voice of customer data is where you identify that moment of truth. This right here, this is the friction point that if we could fix this, if we could resolve this, it would free up so many things inside and outside the business in terms of how we're serving our customers. So you've got the problem. You you know what you need to go fix. Now you get to apply your change management methodology, whatever that is. And and that's one thing that I coach teams on. If, If you together as a business don't have a common language for change and and our CEO, Jonathan is, is very adept in in helping to guide organizations in this regard and speaking this way in terms of let's unite the business around a common language of change. Otherwise, all we have is just this problem. We we don't have the foundation in which to solve it together. What we're going to do is just push it down to some leader. Hey, you, this fits best into your bucket. Go, Go figure out how to solve this. But that's not how the customer views us. That's not how the problem is is really going to be stated. It's going to be overarching across these different functional areas. So we've got to have good change management practices inside of the business. We have to have good project management capabilities inside of the business of, okay, we've identified this problem. We know how we're going to mobilize resources together to attack it. Now let's apply some project management know-how and let's get this thing done. Let's execute on this. And then let's look how, how, how have our customers reacted and responded to this change? Did, did we meet the mark? Did we hit the mark in terms of the actual customer reality that's out there? Interesting. I'm wondering how much of this, um, how much of that change that needs to be enacted in order to fix a certain problem? I mean, some of it, like if you think about a team who's got a, a voice assistant or whatever, it's very easy for that team to then kind of implement changes because they manage that kind of system. And it's often very kind of like, it's not huge changes that you typically make. You learn that customers are asking a certain thing. You gather that data. You can then yeah. incorporate that into your kind of um, into your application. But sometimes, what ends up happening when you have a really good look and a, and, a, and you kind of scratch the surface of a problem is that it's a little <laughs> bit like an onion. And that you, oh, yeah. you you kind of drill down to the actual root cause and you realize that actually this isn't just changing the way that we write emails. This is actually a yeah. fundamental problem with the way that the service is running. And so how much of, from your experience, and, and maybe this isn't necessarily directly related to conversational AI, although actually it probably is because you quite often hear a customer asks for something and you realize yeah. that in order to facilitate that, you need to access this line of business system, which is a legacy on-prem system, doesn't have any APIs. And then you're yeah. all of a sudden in conversations with IT and suppliers about either changing systems or, or creating an environment that will allow you to exactly. deliver that. So in your experience, how much is we can tweak this, we can tweak that, we can make iterative improvements versus how much of it is starting to peel back the layers of those onions to open up big areas that really need looking at more closely. Everything is harder than it seems at first. And and so we like to speak in in t-shirt sizes. When when we do like an audit assessment, we come in and do like a transformation CX workshop through Officium. Uh, When when we get to the end, the, the big punchline is, We've identified through your voice of customer process, all these opportunities to enhance the customer journey. Now, what's the size and complexity of this? We know the value that like this would have a huge impact on the customer. But now let's talk about the T-shirt size. If it's XL, 
That means there's a lot of stakeholders involved. There's a lot of systems involved. There's going to be a lot of time, resources, energy required to fix this. But if, if you have a small or medium-sized T-shirt that would have a major impact on the customer experience, then that, that raises up to the top. This is, this is a just do it, to go back to Lean Six Sigma language. This is a just do it. This will have tremendous impact and it's low complexity. We, we, can, we can execute on this quickly. It's, it's usually going to be somewhere in between. You're, you're going to have a medium, large size T-shirt where th- this is going to take some time. We shouldn't underestimate how much time this is going to take. We, we know that this is going to be a two-quarter initiative, and, and we need to set our expectations correctly with the team, with our leadership, and, and actually give us a chance to be successful because so often we get way too optimistic in terms of, oh, yeah, we can we can fix that by next week. And then, of course, the, the onion happens. Oh, well, that data is trapped in this system and we've got three different systems operating here and there's all these people here and that department's involved. I didn't know that. It, you got to give yourself a chance to actually be successful and set a, a realistic expectation around this work. It, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. I mean, we're, we're talking about improving the overall perception of the business. That's the work of CX. It's the overall perception that the customer has towards the business. That doesn't change overnight. So it, it changes when we do these things, when we isolate the biggest opportunities, when we make the time and energy to improve them, things unlock. You, and you get in a habit, you get in a cadence. So if, if you can get some of those small t-shirt sizes that are quick wins, to use John Coder language, get a few quick wins and demonstrate the value of, wow, we learned from our customers, we did something, we went back and closed the loop with our customers, we demonstrated that we're listening to them and doing the same for your employees, you start to develop a habit pattern of, of winning. You're winning for your people, you're winning for your customers, and people develop an appetite for that. They, they realize they can do it. And way too many CX programs shoot themselves in the foot because they bite off more than they can chew. They try and do something way too complex right out of the gate, and they fail to deliver. And then the company moves on. Well, we tried CX, time to try something else. And that's, that's just a bummer. <laughs> that sounds incredibly familiar, Dustin. So many parallels with right, conversational right. AI implementations in there. Yeah, yeah. Like you mentioned, Nate, uh, getting those, those quick wins really builds that momentum and gets people excited. Huh? Yeah. Nice. And, and I love to use John Coder again. He talks about not celebrating too early because a lot of times we'll, we'll get one of those quick wins and be like, hey, everybody, we did it. Good job. <laughs> And it, it rips the momentum right out of the program. You just rip the heart out of your own CX initiative. You don't get to sit there and clap like you made it to a finish line. You get to say, wow, that felt good. You all, we're starting to move. Look what we just did for our customer. Now, let, let's look at this over here. We can do this now. And you get that energy and excitement up even more instead of celebrating a, a mysterious finish line that did not exist. I mean, I see that way too often where people shoot themselves in the foot by, by celebrating early. Hmm. I think in some senses, well, one final question, I think in some senses, um, there are so many parallels with the the kind of, um, I don't want to say the act because it's not an act, it's it's consistent kind of behavior over time like like most of these transformation initiatives are and so many parallels between voice of the customer and generally speaking conversational ai applications in general because often the first thing that you'll implement will be those quick wins be the low-hanging fruit the very first thing you do will be version 0.1 and then the aim is you learn from it you digest your customers kind of feedback you iterate on it and then you scale it and scale it and scale it and carry on so it's not something that you do and then you're done it's something that you do and then consistently do from now on is that also your vibes and your thoughts around voice of the customer this isn't something that someone should enter into lightly because it is something yeah. that you need to do consistently over time not to say that you should try and bite off more than you can chew you could probably start small and scale but it's something that will continue infinitum essentially yeah i mean that's that's why i did the button <laughs> i mean it's iterative like i, I knew that this wasn't a, a scalable method of, of truly getting all the types of VOC data that we wanted centralized. But was it a start? Was it something where before those calls, where the feedback portion of that interaction would just disappear into the ether, and now we actually equipped our agents with, with a way to capture it? Was it a step in the right direction? Heck yeah. 
So it, it absolutely is iterative in that way. Again, marathon, not a sprint. Let's, let's run, let's crawl, walk, run when it comes to CX. I, I think about that quite often. How can we get started with the momentum around this? How can we get in the cadence of a cross-functional CX change coalition to where we're not just operating inside of our organizational pockets? For, for most organizations, that right there is a major hurdle to overcome to where they actually see CX as a strategy that transcends individual corporate silos. It's something that they get to work on together and they, and they all have meaningful inputs into that. Nice. Dustin, any, any, any thoughts, any final questions for Ned? No, I think this was great. Uh, thanks so much. No final thoughts, but definitely we'll, I think, uh, Kane, unless there's anything from you, I think we'll end how we usually end, which is how do people find you, Nate? Yeah. Uh, look me up on Twitter at customer is first, please come out to officium labs. It's uh, officiumlabs.io. We've got a, a CX maturity assessment that we're about to post out there. That it's just a great way to understand where your biggest opportunity is right now in this discussion around CX. Uh, so there, there's a lot of great resources that are out there, but I, I would just love to be a resource for you. This is hard work. <laughs> it's easy for me to come on a podcast and pontificate on these best practices. But I mean, the reality is that this is tough stuff. A lot of CX initiatives are failing to demonstrate meaningful value back to the organization. So when we, when we rally together, when we equip ourselves with the ability to succeed by setting clear expectations, realistic expectations, and we think iteratively in these ways that we've talked about on this podcast, you will get momentum. You will serve your customers better. They'll start to honor you for that. Your customers will notice their loyalty will be expanded. Their share of wallet will be expanded. This is how we grow businesses. This is how we earn the right to grow our organizations through doing the right things for our customers. So don't lose heart out there. You can do it. It'll just take some time and, and please use folks like me as a resource. Wicked. Well, Nate, this has been absolutely fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. There's been so many parallels with everything you've been saying and and, and conversational AI, even though conversational AI is a, is a narrow part of a broader customer experience, so many parallels. And so I think what people can take from it, what's good, is that you're likely in some part, if you are maintaining and building out a conversational AI strategy, voice of the customer is inevitably going to be part of that. And I think that yeah. the next step is to try and figure out how do you either take the data that you have and then make that available to the wider organization or how do you go to the wider organization to gather further insights that you can feed into into that uh, strategy as well as the broader organizational strategy as well. So I think that's been really, really enlightening. I really appreciate you, uh, really appreciate you joining us. And yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll do a clubhouse room soon because, as I said before, I've just noticed you're on clubhouse, and so I followed you today. So we'll uh, we'll we'll sort that out, and uh, yeah, join us tomorrow where we'll be speaking to Derek Roberti of Cognigy, and we're going to be talking, probably building on this conversation actually, talking about enterprise conversational automation and how you can nice. get started with that. So it's been absolutely immense, Nate. Really appreciate it, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everybody.